how to explain how excited we are <laughs> we never we... knew this is a very special episode of ever the turn on, this <laughs> is a very special episode of the turn on yeah it's true because y'all today we're talking to adrian marie brown when we first had the idea to do this show um there was a very short list of folks who we knew we wanted to talk to and Adrian was on that list. And you don't even write erotica. We was like, eh, details. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, what? Wait. We'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, shit. You coming. Okay. Yep. So let's get into the intro. <laughs> so then we can <laughs> get into the stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Adrian's pronouns are she and they. Adrian is the author of Grievers. That's my copy. The first in her novella series with the Black Dawn imprint, Holding Change, The Way of Emergent Strategy, Facilitation, and Mediation, We Will Not Cancel Us, and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice, Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good, (laughs) Emergent Strategy, Shaping Chains, Changing Worlds, and the co-editor of Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction from Social Justice Movements. She's also the co-host of the How to Survive the End of the World and Octavia's Parables podcast. And Adrian is rooted in Durham. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having this show and thanks for having me on it. Yay. So, Adrian, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Mm, I love that question. Gosh. Well, there's always been a dual path for me. So I always wanted to be a writer. I always knew I was a writer. Like from as a kid, I was writing stories, but I was also a performer. Like I, I wanted to be a singing, dancing, theatrical star. And um, I actually auditioned. I mean, I was in every dance class, every, you know, play, like everything like that, my whole childhood. And I went to the um, North Atlanta High School of the Performing Arts, where I was told I was on path to become the next Jasmine guy, which was like, I was like, I'm for it. I'm here for it. Um, I love a different world and I'm here for it. So, yeah, it was always like a performer and a writer, always Hmm. a creative endeavor. Well, so usually my next question is, how do you get from there to here? But it's a straight line, kind of, sort of. (laughs) No, I mean, you know, I spent 25 years in social justice movement work thinking uh, definitely like I'm never going to be a performer or a singer or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, or if I do, I'll only do it like, you know, like I'll sing in movement spaces or I'll sing to like gather people back from small groups (laughs) or something like that. Which I did. I used to be like, it's time, you know, Um, and then writing on the side, you know, I was like, I blog, I I do stuff over here, but I really, for a while I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this fiction thing happening or, or books happening. Mm. So, and that was okay because I was, um, I am a good facilitator. I'm, I'm a great facilitator and I love doing it. Um, it, uses my brain in ways that are good for my brain. You know, like Mm -hmm. I synthesize, I can hear between the lines. Um, But I, yeah, there was a period where I was like, okay, this is my life of service. And yeah, and the other part just kept knocking at the door, like, but there's songs and there's books and there's stories and there's other stuff. So my close friends and family will tell you that like at least once a year I call them like, I'm a writer. And they're like, yes, <laughs> everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Everyone already knows that. So what are you going to do about it? Mm. You know? Um, and, and then after having published several nonfiction works, I was like, I'm a fiction writer. 
spider, you know, and they're like, yeah, what you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I have continuously kept trusting the process, um, like trusting, like I write, you know, I just keep writing. I, my, I joke around, like I stay writing. Um, and if I have like, that might be what goes on my tombstone. It's just like, she stayed writing. <laughs> you know? Um, she stayed writing. She's probably still writing. I'll be a little ancestor. They're like, you know, <laughs> thoughts on the afterlife. But yeah, uh, so it doesn't feel like a straight line to me, but mm-hmm. it does feel, um, it feels like I'm landing in something that I always knew I was supposed to be in. Mm. So okay. what's the, what's your favorite thing about what you do? Mm. I get a lot of pleasure from what I do. Like on a daily basis, I love my work and the more I talk to other people who write, um, the more I recognize how how special that is. Because I know a lot of writers who are like, I have to write, but I hate writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't enjoy the process. I'm pushing it out. I'm struggling with it. Um, for me, I never feel like that. You know, like I'm always just like, ah, I get to write. Like, I can't believe I get to write all day today. Um, you know, when I get to clear out space and just write, there's times when, you know, I'm the kind of writer who like, I'll wake up in the morning. Usually the content is there. Like something's there. It's mm. like, you have to write about this. Like you have to write about this. Um, writing fiction is, is really a pleasurable, daunting experience because it's not about reacting to the world in that day in the same way. It's, it's really like stepping back and world building. And I'm, I'm I feel like a student there. So I like the balance in my life of getting to be someone who knows about certain things and is still learning about others. Um, and then I really like that I get to determine how my time is spent. Um, I think, you know, I, I have found myself saying a lot that I feel like one of the freest people to ever live. And I'm like, why does it feel that way? You know, like I've done a, bu- a bunch of study of like, my own lineage and my ancestral lines and, and what humans have been up to. And so much of human history is shaped around the labor of survival, the labor of obligation or the labor of subjugation, like being in conditions where you didn't get to determine how you spent your own time. And, and then a lot of it was like, how do we survive how other people feel about us, hate us, want to oppress us, want to tear us down. And I've got all the different things. I'm like black, I'm queer, I'm a woman, I'm disabled, like (laughs) of all the things that traditionally have been like, oh, you are not going to get to do what you want to do. And so the fact that I wake up most days and I'm like, I want to do everything that's on my schedule. I only say yes to things I want to do. Like this conversation, I'm like, it's like I, I open up my calendar for the day. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's going to be wonderful. <laughs> you know, and okay. um, so I, I feel really strongly that like, I'm like, that's my favorite part about my life mm-hmm. is. And I don't, I work a lot, but I don't feel like I, hu- I hustle. You know, I don't feel like I'm like an intense hustling Rhyme place. Situation. I did for a long time, but. One of the nice things about being in social justice work for a long time is I learned that I can really live a satisfying life on not a lot of income. (laughs) So um, I have a great life and I have enough and I'm not constantly like striving for like, I need a Benz, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's not driving me. I just, I want to be able to write. I like being in love. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't need a massive house. I just want enough space. So that, that gives me a lot of freedom in my my days because I'm like, okay, I have enough. I'm good. Let's do what I want to do. That's great. Um, What's the most challenging thing about all of this? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, because I don't have some other boss, there's no one else telling me what to do. So the most challenging part is sometimes figuring out like, how do you write a book? You know, (laughs) like, or what's the, how do I, how do I make a deadline? Like I've had to create systems of deadline for myself. So that's been one. It's just like, um, when do I know something's complete? I have to often be the one who determines that something is complete. Like there's no one else to be like, yeah, I approve that. I'm like, do I think it's done? I think the other part is 
what society is up to right now is a, it's daunting to be a visible person in any way because mm-hmm. um, on one hand, people are like, oh, I love you. Like, I want to put you up in some visible space. But we're also really structured around destruction of those that we can see. And we'll destroy for any reason, you know, so whatever it is that we're like, oh, this is your weak point or, or these are, this is your mistake or this is your thing. There's a lot of like, as soon as you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing what I love. There's someone who's like, I hate you. <laughs> you know, like what? <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> well, you know, hate is such a strong emotion to focus on and generate. Um, and it's not how I'm structured. Like, I'm like, if I don't like an artist or a writer or a movement thinker or whatever, I just don't put my my mind on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's my it's critique is like, it's not for me. They're clearly in service of something else and someone else because they have followers mm-hmm. and that's okay. But I bring my attention away. And so I'm always, that part is always challenging. Where I'm like, my ego, you know, I, I'm an appease. I'm a likable person, or at least I, I want to be. And For a long time, it was important to my work. You know, as a facilitator, it's important Mm -hmm. to come in and not be ruffling the feathers (laughs) in the room because it's like, it's not about me. I need to be kind of a neutral, kind energy that can allow movement to happen here. But now, you know, as a writer, it's I get to step out more and more as here's what I think about things. Here's how I feel. And like, you know, like pleasure activism, like that was a major leap from mm-hmm. what I had been doing and where I had been. Like suddenly I was like, also let's talk about squirting. Also let's talk about consent. Also let's talk about, you know, spanking. Let's talk about these, these very important topics. Um, and there were a lot of people who were like, I don't respect that. <laughs> or I don't understand, mm-hmm. you know, like how am I supposed to re- honor that or take you seriously as a leader? And then I've done other books that were like challenging, you know, people are like, what? That's not what we wanted from you. Um, I'm learning, though, to also take that challenge as as growth, as a way of growing, as an invitation to grow. Um, I can't remember who said it right now, maybe Baldwin, but it's like if you're not upsetting anyone, then you're not actually doing your job. Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like if no one is critiquing the work, then you're not actually taking any risks. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I. I start to receive certain challenges as like, okay, I'm taking risks. And, you know, Brene Brown has this book, Daring Greatly, which mm-hmm. I recommend oh, to yeah, people when great. it's like, I'm trying to take it. a risk. <laughs> yeah, You know that book, right? Yeah. So in, in it, she quotes, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt in the beginning. And she's like, if you're not in the arena, um, you know, basically it's like, don't listen to the people who are not in the arena. And if you're brave with your life and you choose to, live in the arena, then you're going to get your ass kicked. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Right. I love that. Then I'm like, yes, (laughs) you know, if I have haters or if I have challenging critiques or if I have stuff like that, it means I'm in there Mm -hmm. in, in the space, trying to learn and trying to figure it out. Um, so learning in public is really challenging, but I feel committed to continually doing that. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's other, other challenges. There's a certain loneliness to a writer's life mm. sometimes. Um, it's like a self-imposed thing, you know, but I'm like, I'm, I'm clearing out space. I'm clearing out space. I'm clearing out space. And I'm like, I'm all by myself in this space, you know? So sometimes there's that. Um, having having a my fiance now has helped a lot with that. But f- there were years there where I wasn't with anyone and I had started to make room for writing. And I was just like, am I just going to be like alone for the next 50 years writing books? Mm. Because my characters are good company. Like I love, I love being in a book and being in a writing process. I have great friends who check on me and who show up with me, but there is, it's sort of a, especially when you're trying to write something new or something that that feels new, Mm -hmm. there's a way that you're, you're inching out onto a certain limb by yourself and it can feel lonely there. I I think now I kind of go out there <laughs> and then I come back to the whatever trunk of the tree. I'm just like, okay, I need nourishing. I need loving up. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, I need my people to kind of circle around me. Um, 
like when I release a book now, I don't like, <laughs> I kind of turn way deep inward. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, book, go out there. I'm going to go turn deeply inward, check in with my people, let them just love up on me for completion. Mm-hmm. Because out there on the limb, you know, people start th- throwing things, yelling things, <laughs> you know, it's like, hold on. I don't know how people are going to feel about this, but I'm going to go go get nourished first before I look at the reviews. <laughs> you know? well, yeah. So. And it's a blessing that you have that space where you can be nourished in those times. Yeah. Inner circle is everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So, you know, we talk about sex. So we always ask, ask folks, what was the prevailing attitude about sex in your home growing up? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it was generally positive, but private. Mm-hmm. So I, I never, I don't remember seeing my parents interact with each other much physically, like in a way that was like, hmm, they're getting it in, you know, like that's, that's their vibe. I know that I was the oldest of three. So I was like, y'all, I'm still making more babies somewhere. <laughs> and I know that they loved each other. They were very cute, like adoring with each other. And I remember reaching a certain age where my mom was like, yeah, just always make sure that part of the relationship is, is good. You know, she's like, if something's wrong with the sex part of the relationship, it's going to be hard for the rest of it to work. And um, I thought that that was really good. It has been very good advice in my life. Like there have been periods where I was like, I think everything's great, but mm, I'm not satisfied. You know, she's like, no, get out of there. (laughs) You know, because it only gets worse. (laughs) It's only going to get worse. A and B, she's like, there's something in that root system of desiring each other Mm -hmm. and being able she's like you know, you just can work through a lot in that space. And I do find that to be the case mm-hmm. in in a, my loving relationships. Like the best my relationships I've had have been ones where I was like, we mad? Let's go work it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> makeup sex is a really magical thing mm-hmm. um, in, the, in a healthy relationship. And uh, yeah, but that was it when I was growing up. It was, you know, my parents are both Southerners. Um, I still, I don't think my dad's ever read pleasure activism, you know, like it's, it's like, this is something you don't really talk about. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, right. that's, that was kind of the energy. So, I mean, you just talked about how that influences your relationships now. I'm wondering how coming from that space, being rooted there influences your work now. Yeah. Well, I think it's so interesting because there's still this part of me that is always like, I can't believe we're talking about this, you know? (laughs) And when I was doing the book tour for pleasure activism, it was actually hilarious because I would do kind of this dealer's choice thing with the audiences, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was like be in a room with a couple hundred people. And I was like, which pieces do you want me to read? And there was always the nipple piece, the squirting piece. Like it was always like the pieces that I was the like, the pieces oh, where you like shit. in front of people. I was like in front of people and and like comrades, right? Yeah. Like in front of people, I'm like, I've been facil- your facilitator for years. I've maybe been your boss or whatever. And I'm like, so squirting. So, um, so there's still in me that kind of trained in, you know. I don't know if it's prudishness or like a sort of polite company. There's like something mm. in there that's like, oh, Adrian, even as I'm the one who's who's crossing those boundaries. <laughs> um, and I think there's a real sense of like love should be a, a part of all of it. Mm. Like growing up and, in, you know, what felt important in the household I grew up in was like love matters so much and being loved and loving matters so much. And I think that shows up in every aspect of my work now. It's like, everyone deserves to be loved. (laughs) Everyone deserves that. And you don't have to perform it for other people. You don't have to show that, but you need to know that it's good. Like Mm -hmm. you need to know that you're loved and that you have your people. Um, And that, that shapes a lot of my work now. There's a lot actually that I don't share with the public now, but it's because it's good. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is functional. This is great. This is working. I feel deeply joyful. I feel deeply satisfied. And I'm like, that doesn't have to be performative. You know, it doesn't have to be for the gram. Um, in, in some ways, I feel like I, I'm trying to notice that. I'm like, for some people, the most healing thing you can do is reveal more. 
And for some people, the most healing thing you can do is, is really tune in and make sure you're in an authentic place mm -hmm. and you have to know which medicine is the right one for you. Right. Yeah. So we asked you to come on the show because pleasure activism aligns so closely with what we do here. I opened up yeah. by saying it is one of our guiding lights. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about that book and what did you want um, what pushed you to write it? You know, that was one of the books that it was like, I'm going to be written. Like I kept waking mm -hmm. up with clear stuff that wanted to be said. And uh, it just kept showing up in my life. I've always, you know, since I was in my early 20s, um, I was like really aware of how important sex and orgasm and pleasure were to my reclamation of myself as a fat black woman. Um, and then doing drugs was like important to me, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I really feel like a large reason why I'm in touch with myself in the ways that I am is due to mushrooms and weed and ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was around a lot of people who had similar experiences of, of really positive experiences of sex and drugs, helping them to become themselves. And yet feeling like we had to hide that part. Like we were living in some mythological society where those things were naughty or bad. I'm like, no, we're all adults. And what we're not talking about is actually um, allowing so much harm to happen mm -hmm. because we don't talk about our desires. We don't talk about our drug use. We don't talk about our sex lives. And it means some people are just never having great sex. <laughs> some people are having really unhealthy sexual relationships. I think a lot of the harm, uh, sexual harm, sexual abuse, things like that come from repressed desires and mishandled desires and things that don't get spoken about. Um, things that people are like, oh, I'm ashamed. And I'm like, you don't need to be ashamed. You need to find people who share that kink with you and like where you can consensually do that thing. Um, mm -hmm. You need to find people who can help you heal if something has been harmed or broken. Um, so all of that was a big part of my my life. And, you know, one of my first movement jobs was at a place called the Harm Reduction Coalition. And so it was training people in how do you reduce the harm that comes from drugs and sex. And it was such a one. I'm so grateful that that was one of the first things I ever did professionally because I was around a lot of other adults who were like, we're fucking. <laughs> we're fucking and we're <laughs> drugging and we're high and... And there's nothing wrong with any of that. And actually, there's something wrong with being in a society that acts like the the poor people and the Black people and other folks who do that are somehow bad and wrong, even though everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now, we, I mean, we see that. We live in a society where, like, white people are getting very wealthy off of selling marijuana while Black people are sitting in prison for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So all of that was fascinating to me. <clears throat> so first, I started doing this column for... Bitch magazine called The Pleasure Dome. And I was just like, let me feel into what it's like to write about these things more publicly. Like I had done a little dabbling on my blog and it was so good. And I got such positive responses. People were like, thank God you're talking about this. And like from a social justice perspective, from an abolitionist perspective, from a radical perspective, um, that there's nothing wrong with us. You know, there's nothing wrong with desire. Um, and everything can be in alignment with the future we want. Um, so the book, I feel like the book really was pushing itself out. And then there were these edges I would come to. Where I was like, I don't know enough about this, but I know who does. And so it was really a hybrid of my own writing and an anthology of other people who I really look up to and learn from. And there's another book in the works now that is going to be a book on black feminist kink that mm. is, I'm really excited about. I have um, a team of, of incredible black um, radical feminist women who are working on that now and teaching me, you know, I'm like, tell me everything. Cause y'all got, y'all are for, you know, they're further along than I am in the practices. And I'm like, Hmm. I think we have a lot to learn from the BDSM kink communities around how we communicate what we want to need and getting it. Um, so, yeah. 
Word. some stuff there. That's so mm-hmm. dope. I um actually just got back from a conference and there were I was at the Sex Down South conference and so uh-huh there were lots of kink practitioners there and I went to a um workshop that was about BDSM and its therapeutic benefits. And I felt like I was at a Jodeci concert. It was like all black women in the Yes. <laughs> it was it I felt I mean it was just full of black women at the end, you know, we were like, so how do I get how do I join? Some, you know, and yes. It's it's wild because I feel like the more black women get exposed to this, the more they're like, hmm, this seems pretty interesting. I mean, some might not identify because yeah. I think we hear about BDSM and the first thing that goes to our mind is submission, which that's some people's thing. Yeah. But yes, there's so many parts of it, right? Yeah, there's so many parts of it. And I think for me, the thing that is important is we have, you know, Black women's history, especially in the U.S., is that we were brought here to be in total subjugation, our bodies to be used as labor, mm-hmm. as as sexual labor, as whatever was was demanded of us. And there was harm. There was pain. It was built into the structure. And I think that for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I would never want to go someplace where there was harm, there was pain, there was submission, you know. But I think the thing that's been fascinating to me about about everything I've been learning and my my dabbling practices are like, it's actually about power and it's about reclaiming power over mm. every aspect of this. Mm. And I wish that every single person who has sex of any gender background, anything under went would go through the BDSM checklist, <laughs> right? Or would go through that, that aftercare checklist mm-hmm. and just be like, here's the things that I know I like. Here's what I know I don't like. Here's what I consent to. Here's what my safety language is if I need to change that arrangement. Here's what I need afterwards in order to feel cared for and loved. Like that stuff is just brilliant for anyone who's negotiating sex with a new partner. And I think the BDSM community teaches us a lot. I also have have been blown away by my gay male friends who are negotiating a lot of this stuff on apps. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I remember when Grindr came out and they were all like, yeah, like, I'm doing all this stuff by chat before I ever get there. And so I walk Mm -hmm. in the door and we both know what's up and we both know what we've agreed to. And we both have to honor that. And, you know, they were having sex with people where they're like, we don't even know each other's names necessarily, but we had a very deep, intimate experience where Mm -hmm. we both were in consensual, pleasurable, you know, time. I'm like, okay, how can I make sure that black women get to experience something like that? Because what I'm hearing concurrently from black women is that we keep ending up in relationships where we don't feel empowered to articulate what we want, where we have been trained and socialized that our job is just to please our partner. And it's not just our male partners. Those dynamics shift over into queer relationships too. Like patriarchy is so present. Um, And that being in service rather than being in a uh, collaborative you know, experience towards pleasure um, that that's built in. So we have to actually intentionally think of doing something differently if we want different results. So I love the tools of it. And, and then I think it's important to testify when you do have an, an experience that's like, Oh, wow, that kind of blew my mind in ways that I didn't expect. Like, I find it very fascinating that there's so many black women who love being flogged or being spanked or being hit in those kind of ways where they're like, I'm in charge of this Mm. because I'm like, what happened for that to be a healing and pleasurable experience for people who experience, whose lineage comes from slavery. I'm like, that is a massive transformative thing (laughs) to be able to do in a few short generations. Um, And it's undeniably right. To me, it's part of why I'm like, I don't think anyone should ever be spanking children. Because I'm like, there's a pleasure sensibility to this act that shouldn't actually be done between um, children with children who can't consent and Mm. it's being done as a punishment. I think it's confusing. I don't think anyone should ever hit a kid for any reason, (laughs) Um, but especially that reason. But I'm like, oh, the more I understand what spanking actually is, the less I think it should happen to anyone who can't consent to it. Mm. Um, So there's just all this fascinating stuff there (laughs) to be that I'm like, 
let's unlock those conversations and, and not be ashamed of them. I also meet a lot of black women who are like, they'll whisper to me what they want. And I'm like, mm. you're telling me that I'm not going to bed yeah, with you. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to help you get yeah. that. Right. Yeah. I'm like, you don't feel like comfortable telling the person you're, you're having sex with or the people you're having sex with what you actually want. Let's work on that because everyone Everyone deserves a space where they can articulate their desires and have them be held and, and figure out, is there a safe, consensual way to have this experience? Mm -hmm. right. So um, we know that pleasure activism, we've touched on this, is so much more than just sex. But as you mentioned, you do have chapters on nipples and squirting. Um, so... And you also mentioned earlier that sometimes you have, you struggle with integrating your sexual self with your other selves. Like, how do you find common ground? Yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten easier. It definitely helped putting that book out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, putting the book out, one of the things that happened after the book came out, I was still actively facilitating during that time. And I started showing up spaces. And like, if, if people were late or, you know, if we had a break, Folks were like pulling me to the side, like, can we talk about, can we talk about mm. pleasure? Can we talk about sex? Can we talk about it? And so what I found is that I became a little bit of a portal for people that they were like, I, now I know it's, you know, you can, you, sometimes you just become like a portal or a beacon just by being, uh, mm. just by being or talking about something. So suddenly people were, you know, texting me. I just had this orgasm and DMing me about the pleasure practices they were in. And what it made me realize is that, it, it actually was helpful. The more I could integrate this for myself, the more mm -hmm. I could actually be of use to all the people who are like, I'm in relationship to you. I trust you. And you're able to talk about these things like, you know, help, mm -hmm. help, help. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so to me, the integration was both for myself because I'm like, this is, this is just the truth of my mm -hmm. life is that I'm a sexual goddess. I've been that way since forever. Like I can't remember even at a very young age, I was thinking about pleasure. You know, my, my mom was like, you were always making out with your friends. You were always <laughs> physically in touch with them. You know, like I was always getting caught under the covers with someone, you know, like, oh, just like that was always me. And, um, the only thing that put me off that path was going through experiences of, of sexual harm and sexual mm -hmm. assault and like having to recover from those experiences mm -hmm. and be like, actually, this is still me. Like what was done was not about sex, but about power. Or about you. And exactly. It was like, that's that person's work, but mine is to continue healing and to be my whole self. Um, so it feels now much more integrated into who and how I am all the time. And one of the things that's been fascinating more recently is I've been experiencing so much satisfaction in my life in general. Like I have been writing the books I want to write. I'm in partnerships I want to be in. I'm engaged. I have all of my nibblings and my family are doing well. My friendships are deep. And so I have, I've been saying like, I feel like I'm experiencing like lifegasms, you know, like mm. there's something that I, I used to think only happened for me in the orgasmic realm of, of the bedroom um, that I'm like, oh no, this feeling can be expanded into my whole life. And I wrote about this, like living in the yes in pleasure mm -hmm. activism. Um, and at that point, I think I was like maybe 60 to 70% there. Like I was like, this feels good. I can feel this. This is great. Mm -hmm. But actually putting the book out unleashed a whole different level, right? Where mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm still withholding parts of my truth and parts of myself. And the more I can actually let those out and articulate them, the more aligned I can be in my life. So I feel like now I move fluidly through my wholeness. And mm -hmm. um, I think the other piece is I don't feel like I have to perform anything around it. You know, so, cause I feel like there's that pendulum swing where it's like yeah. you move from the prudishness all the way to like, oh, I'm all here. You know, like I'm <laughs> only talking about sex and fucking and talking about that. You know, like, and like, you can also end up on the other side of that spectrum where you're sexualizing every experience mm. and every relationship and everything. 
I definitely went through that too. You know, I was like, everyone's hot. And I'm like, well, everyone is hot, but I'm not actually attracted to everyone. Like I'm very Mm. picky. Even when I was in my very, like, I've got different lovers all over the country phase. I was still very picky about who they were and what experience I wanted to have. And now I'm in this new wild experience where I'm like in a monogamous engagement with someone that I'm like madly in love with Mm -hmm. and deeply attracted to and growing, you know, like growing a pleasurable life with, right. Where it's like, Oh, we both are looking for the utmost joy and the utmost feeling good throughout our lives. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that looks like erotic dates painting. And sometimes that looks like going to movies. And sometimes that looks like making love and, you know, it's like, it starts to weave into everything. So you write quite beautifully in pleasure activism about how pleasure led you to fall in love with yourself through the terrain of your body. And as someone who I quite frankly struggle with that, like I'm, I've even long, like, so I'm disabled now, but even long before that body image has been a thing for me. And I'm wondering, yeah. like, can we talk about how you got there and how you stay there? Cause I also, well, that's that, what I was going to say. Yeah. I was like, it's not a one-time journey. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a daily, it's daily practice. It's really daily practice. And there's some practices that I return to over and over again that help me looking at myself, like really contending with myself in the mirror. Um, and I'm very much like, I look at myself, I'm like, yes, like, look at this. Let me, let me see this body turn around. Let me see that ass. Like you look good. And mm-hmm. I'm always on the, on just on the precipice of posting like so many nudes on Instagram. Cause I'm just like, I look so good to me. <laughs> yes. Um, and <laughs> it's just like, it's, you know, so that self-affirmation practice feels really important. Mm-hmm. And I say in the book, I, I think I talk about how I started with doing one part of me at a time. Um, so I started with like my left pinky finger because um, that was undoubtedly lovable. And I worked my way up to parts that seemed less lovable to me at the time. And since pleasure activism came out, my ability has shifted pretty drastically and my arthritis has um, has taken off. You know, my I just sort of like some days I wake up and I'm like, I feel like I'm in a bone cage. Like I can't move the way I want to move, um, which has meant that there's been a lot of grief. You know, like I feel young to be um, as limited in my range of motion as I am. I've had to get really creative about like, what can I still do? I'm having to like change what I eat and other things, you know, just be like, okay, that's, that is inflammation. And that's not like, you know, those kind of things. Um, and so now that's become part of my self-love practice, right. Is, is to really think with every single thing that enters my body, how is this going to feel, um, as it moves through me? And does this serve my utmost mobility, my utmost health, my utmost well-being, or does this serve like kind of short-term pleasure that's going to actually cause me a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And Ingrid LaFleur actually talks about that in, in the book. It's Mm -hmm. like, how do you live that pleasure life? Um, So I'll also say it's really noticing the things that I have been trained to not like in my body. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I'm like, Oh, like I have been trained not to like cellulite in my body and to feel really negatively towards it. Let me get curious about that. Like, could I produce a different feeling in myself around cellulite? Um, Are there any people, you know, on Instagram? Instagram, like, I really love looking at the fat girls, the big girls on Instagram and just seeing what they're up to. Um, Lizzo has been really helpful for me. Like, I find it does, it helps to have sort of folks who are like, you know, Gabby Fresh and Lizzo and other people who are larger and who just be like up there. Um, Jazz on Your Mind is... One of my favorites, because she is a big girl with like juicy, big old thighs and cellulite and everything. And she just gets in twerks and shakes everything. I'm like, mm-hmm. it looks so good when she does it. Like, I'm like, maybe it looks good when I do it. It's just perspective. Um, I've really transformed my thought process around stretch marks. Like I used to think, oh, those can't be good. But I've actually found on my lovers that I love their stretch marks because mm-hmm. it, it's something so distinct to them 
And I'm like, that is my boo right there. That's that's mine. So like, <laughs> it's so funny now. I'm like super into my own stretch marks and and how they, you know, there's an intimacy. Like all these things that we think of as imperfections, those are the intimacies. That's how someone knows they're with us. Those are the markers, right? It's like that's the map, uh, the cartography of your particular body, and. So all of that helps me feel more loving to myself. Um, and it, it does really help to understand that it's like I'm in a society that has trained me not to like my body. And that is that should be interrogated. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing actually wrong with my body. And I do a lot of gratitude practices now. This is my therapist has got me really into this is, you know, she's like, like, yes, you have a lot less ability than you did a year ago, but you have a lot more ability than you might a year from now. Mm. So let's be really present with the ability you have right now. And let's be really grateful for all of it. And when the pain comes, that's a limitation. How can you be really grateful for your body saying, oh, hold on message. I can't do that. That's, that's not, you know, like my body is actually communicating with me all the time. And something about that is really humbling, right? That I'm like, this body is an ecosystem. It's not a machine, you know, I'm alive. And I've lost a lot of people in my life. Um, So I think that's also a big part of it for me is being like, I'm alive. This is what my aliveness looks like today. Let me be grateful for this aliveness today. And, you know, it's one of the conversations I plan to have with the creator <laughs> someday is just a little like, I don't understand why the allergies had to happen. Like, <laughs> you know, I could have, I think I could have enjoyed things more if I could eat almonds. Uh, you know, like Same. I would, I would love to not, you know, I just, I just don't understand why you made me love pizza if I wasn't supposed to be eating pizza this much, you know, like this, some of it, I'm just like, this feels like a creative um, glitch. This doesn't feel like it's on me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, being with what is being with what is, and when I'm in touch with my mortality, it makes it much easier to just be really deeply in love with the body I have. Um, and going through loss with people and being like, I loved their body until the very last breath. There's nothing wrong with it. Cause it was the body of the person I loved mm-hmm. and, you know, um, yeah. So how can I be like that with my own body? Just like, this is. This is me. This is Adrian. This is my body. It's great. <clears throat> I love that. I'm sorry. I'm clearly like going through it. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I mean, this is what it is, right? You have to open yourself. Like you asked for a medicine that you needed. Yeah. The, the, who, um, the bit about being able to sit with where you are, um, that really resonates with me. My mobility has also changed quite a bit, quite drastically in just yes. the last couple of months. Yeah. And thinking about the future of that, not in a way that is like, oh, it's scary. Where is it going to be? But more in a, let me have gratitude for where I am now yeah. and the things that my body can still do for me. Yeah. Um, that feels really good. So thank you. And the relationships around it. I mean, I think if I add anything here, you know, I've been wrestling with like, how can I be sexy if I need a special chair at Lowe's? (laughs) Um, And my partner, thank God for her, is just like, you know, I told her that. She's like, well, then I'm going to gas you up. And I get to that chair. She's like, you look so fine. (laughs) I'm like, okay, good. I just want to make sure I still look fine. And, you know, it's, it's true. I'm like, we have a long way to go, I think, in understanding that the that disabled bodies are still sexy as fuck. You know, they're still mm-hmm. wired for pleasure. They're <laughs> like, there's still so much happening in all of our bodies. And, and for me, some of my greatest teachers have actually been folks in the disability justice community who have just been like, you know, the folks at Sins and Val, they're like, we are having so much sex and we're having sex that actually is is better because we have learned how to articulate what we actually need for mm-hmm. our bodies. So I'm not out here, you know, like I used to be 
get on top and, and cowgirl off into the moon, you know, whatever moonlight. And I'm like, that's not what the need, that's not the needs I have now. Right. <laughs> so if I do that, it's going to be a week of torture. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how can I ask for the, and it's related to the BDSM conversation too. It's mm-hmm. like in, in all of these things, how can I say, here's my body, here's my ability, here's my needs. And here's, here's how pleasure can actually work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we should all know that about ourselves and know that it's constantly changing. And, you know, I definitely want to be having great sex until the very last minute of yes. my life. So I'm just like, look, <laughs> if nothing is working but my clitoris, then you can still suck on it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you just get on in there, <laughs> you know, because, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> like, yeah, because, you know, as long as this works, hey. Let's get it. So speaking of change, um, there's a sentence at the end of the intro and pleasure mm-hmm. activism that always gets me in, right? If this is being read in a future in which this language has evolved, then please know I would be evolving right along with you. And I love how future facing that is and how compassionate it is, like not just for the folks who are reading it, but for yourself. Yeah. Um, but, and it also makes me wonder you know, Octavia Butler taught us that God has changed. Yes. How have any of your beliefs that you shared in the book changed in these last couple of years? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. I think a lot about what I wrote about fantasy and the idea that we should work to get our fantasies aligned with our politics or, you know, that we should really notice our fantasies, especially because we're in a world where so much of what is pitched to us is actually a sexual harm in different mm-hmm. iterations. Like the, I think I said in the book, the top searches on most pornography sites are for incest um, or for cross um yeah, a lot of it is just straight up for incest. You know, it's mm-hmm. like stepmom, stepbrother, step this, step that. Um, so a lot of the culture, like we live in a rape culture and the pornography industry really looks like that, at least the free pornography industry. Um, but I don't know that I got it right in terms of how I wrote about fantasy. And I feel like there's more to explore there. Um, because what what is so important to me is that people are not ashamed of what has been shaped in them by Mm -hmm. the society, but figure out like, what are ways that I can be healing in my lifetime? You know, like I, there's this vision that a group called generation five put out to end child sexual abuse in five generations. And we're really in the first generation of that work. And I think about it all the time um, as I'm like, I don't know how we can, engage in any kind of fantasy that supports incest or supports the abuse of people who are teenagers or younger and move towards justice. <laughs> I just don't know how. Um, and I'm like, so I think we need to figure out ways to reckon with that without shaming people for being inside of that. Mm. And I think that's really hard. Um, and, you know, I don't, I hope that the writing that I did didn't come across as shaming, but I do think that there's some judgment in there and it's judgment I'm still working my way through and, and trying to navigate. Um, I think it comes from a good place. You know, it's, it's like when I was writing that book, I was really aware that I'm in love with all these kids who I want to protect mm. and I want to protect them right now, which means I want all the cycles of harm that could possibly hurt them to be done now. Mm-hmm. And facing the reality that they're not facing the reality that like each of their parents have had to have conversations with them about like how to keep them safe. It breaks my heart. And, um, so yeah, sometimes the heart, you know, I I can feel the heartbreak in in there, Mm. but overall, yeah, I feel good about what's in the book. I think, um, I really wish there was a lot, lot, lot more on disability and, Mm there were some interviews lined up that fell through and stuff like that. And so that might be another book that comes out. Although there's some good stuff being worked on around it that I'm waiting to see, like, you know, 
in the next, in the next three years, if it's not, if, if I don't see the book that I'm like, that's it, you know, then, then I might produce it. Like you got so. it. Yeah. Right. What are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Mm-hmm. So I'm reading the prophets. Um, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Uh, if y'all follow son of Baldwin, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on, on the internet, it's, it's his first work of fiction and it's so good. Yeah. I just started uh, it last week. It's so good. And it's, it's it starts crazy. off with like this very sexy, gay, hot sex scene. It's like this, it's about like, I mean, so far, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, you know, I'm still, I'm in the mid, like I'm halfway through and it's about a, a gay slave love story and it's amazing. And there's a lot of other stuff happening. Um, I just finished reading my own novel. <laughs> my, my novella came and I got to sit and hold it in my hands and, and read it, and which is a different experience than, you know, reading it on the computer and the mm-hmm. editing process. Um, so that was wonderful. And um, and then I have my next book that's going to be read is Toronto Books Yay! Memoir Unbound, which just came out. And yeah, two days ago. I just think Toronto is one of the most important humans to ever live. And... Um, so I'm really grateful to be holding this book. And I listened to, she did a two-part interview with Oprah about it, where she was talking about so much, you know, it's like continuing with being ugly, continuing with being black, continuing with being abused, continuing with all these things. And I'm just like, we need writing of this caliber and this honesty um, to to keep becoming ourselves. So yeah, I'm very I'm grateful black people write books. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> Every day. So what is turning you on today? Mm. Um <laughs> well, my my sweetheart and I um went through this have gone through the pandemic together. And for most of it we were like, it's just the two of us. No one's leaving the house. Everything is happening from the house. And, you know, in my mind, that was like, we're just going to be having sex all the time. But actually, it was like really hard to keep up a sexual energy in those conditions because it was just like, this is difficult. We never go anywhere. We're always together and we're always wearing sweatpants. Like, I don't understand. So right now she goes off to work and she comes Mm -hmm. home and it is like the hottest thing. (laughs) Like I love when she comes in from work and she's got a little whole outfit on that she wore to work. And I'm just like, you look so good to me. Um, so that's turning me on these days. And then I have, um, a whole group of friends who are like going through sexual awakenings themselves. Mm. (laughs) And we're all, it's just a lot of, of like vicarious delight happening, you know, where we're just, I'm like, we're cheering each other on and just being like, yes, live your best whole life and, you know, um, watching people figure out how to continuously find connected pleasure in this period of COVID Mm -hmm. is fascinating to me. Um, I'm like, humans just evolve. Like we just figure it out. (laughs) We're never not going to figure it out. Like we're like, we're gonna have sex. Um, (laughs) so that's been turning me on. And then I'm trying to think if there's anything else right now. Hot baths. I feel like I take a hot bath and when I come out, I'm like, this is the sexiest version of myself that exists. Mm. Like I'm clean. I'm hot. Like I literally am steaming off, right. you know, <laughs> I'm just like, God, I'm so high right now. So that's me. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do a quick lightning round. Okay. Of. What brings you more pleasure? So I'll give you either or. You tell me which brings you the most. So what what brings me more pleasure? Yep. Of the things you're going to say? Yes. Of the okay. things I'm going to list. Okay. So breakfast or dinner? Breakfast. Yes. Um, cake or <laughs> ice cream? Ice cream. Okay. Dress just up. barely. I know. I'm like, ice cream cake. No, um. I was like, mm. there's one particular cake that I have to have every year for my birthday. 
It's a strawberry is. cake with chocolate frosting. And that mm. is like, like nothing will take its place. And I need that. And it gives me deep pleasure. But mm. like on a day-to-day basis throughout the year, I need my dose of ice cream almost every day. So I got it. So is this strawberry cake with chocolate frosting like from a particular place or is like it is from a box that you get at the store and yeah like my my parent everyone laughs at me because they're like are you ready to upgrade to a grown-up cake it's the same cake i've had since i was like five years old i'm like i am not (laughs) and now that no one else is around i made it for myself this year i was like i don't even need to wait till my actual birthday we can do it (laughs) the whole weekend before everyone laughs at me and my family but i'm just like it's the best tasting cake I have um, the I have the most budget ass taste buds because I yes. love a good box cake, box or cake, good Costco Same. cake, like or I'm like this thing is this thing is jamming, and I've had so many fancy cakes, so I'm like, mm, the flavor is not really hidden. Yeah, no, I need that would make soft. this better if, if it was from the grocery store. Yeah, I was like, you know, it was good. It was the one that Duncan had put in a box, and then the frosting came in a little plastic container. So, oh, yeah, yeah and this okay. time I actually did a grandma style, which is I didn't put it in the fridge. Right. So I don't know if y'all like my grandmother is like the thing where it's like you leave a cake because it stays soft and moist and everything. Mm-hmm. You cover it and leave it on the counter. Right? Oh, yeah. That's my norm. Like, yeah, that's, that's we, so Erica bought me things. a cloche that with that, you know, one of them things yes. fancy because I don't have nothing fancy. Oh. She bought me one for Christmas one year because I bake a lot so that I could do that with my cakes so <laughs> and not I have them that. just sitting out. I love that for you. <laughs> Years, I was like, oh, I need to be putting this in the fridge. And so I would like put it mm-hmm. in the fridge and I'd be like, oh. It's never the same. Yeah. So this yeah. year I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm baking it in a pan and I'm leaving it on the countertop. And it was mm-hmm. just delicious to the last bite. Mm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the last bite is like super moist. <laughs> exactly. Super, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, dress up or dress down? Hmm. I like my partner to dress up and I dress down. <laughs> I like looking at you, but I want to be comfortable. Exactly. It's like uh, every couple that you see in DC walking around. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, well, this looks good to me. <laughs> um, beach or mountain? Ooh, beach. Yeah. And last one, country or city? Country. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, nature. I'm just like loving it. I'm like, put me in, put me where I can watch what happens in nature, and I will be very, very pleased. Oh yeah. So as we wrap up, um, what's next for you? So you mentioned erotica. So I feel like in this, what's next for you? I need to hear about this. <laughs> well, I I was just like, well, don't count me out. So I actually won an erotica writing contest. Um, some years ago, maybe 15 years ago now, this place called Cake New York had um, an erotica writing contest when I was living in New York and I wrote erotica for it. I almost always write erotica for my partners, uh, for like people I'm dating um, that stars them or stars folks who are going on sexual adventures in space or whatever, you know, is clever. Um, So I love writing erotica and I could definitely see myself doing that as a uh, as a practice and in this first novella i don't think i i don't think in the first novella there's uh any of the sex stuff there's some in her in her dreams but in the next ones there's a lot of sex coming <laughs> so um i love writing sex um as i think it's really a beautiful practice to put poetry to and put words to so yes um the novella, the next one will come out, I think, about the same time next year. And then the third one will come out the same time the following year. And there's a lot of there's a lot of sensual work in, in those. And then the next book I have slated is a collection of poetry and short stories or spells and short stories called Fables and Spells mm-hmm. that's coming out in February. That's what's up. Uh, so, folks, if you want to keep up with Adrian, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, you can go to the website, which is Adrian Marie Brown. That's A D R I E N N E M A R E E B R O W N dot net. Um, and then on Twitter, you're at Adrian Marie. On IG, you're at Adrian Marie Brown. And Facebook is Adrian Marie. That's all right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. And Instagram is the one where I most often do interesting things like I think that's the best me <laughs> that you can get online so 
Yeah, so you post a lot on IG. It's dope. Yeah. Word. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a true pleasure. I loved talking with you. Yeah, it was really lovely. Yeah. And thank all of you for listening. This is it for this week's episode of The Turn On. And we'll be back next week. Bye. This episode was produced by us, Kenry and Erica, and edited by Ballistic. The theme music is from Brazy. Hit subscribe right now on your favorite podcast app and at youtube.com slash the turn on podcast so you'll never miss an episode. Then follow us on Twitter at the turn on pod and Instagram at the turn on podcast. And you can find links to books, transcripts, guest info, what's turning us on and other fun stuff at the turn on And don't forget to email us at the turn on podcast at gmail.com with your book recommendations and your pressing sex and related questions. And you can support the show by leaving us a five-star review, buying some merch or becoming a patron of the show. Just head to the turn on to make that happen. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon. Holla.